This is Matthew Cutler-Welsh with Passive House Accelerator and thanks for tuning in to this special bonus episode of the Passive House podcast recorded live at FierceCon 23 here in Houston, Texas. And a big thanks to Zola Windows for their support for this series. And joining me now is uh, Jacob Rakusen. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jacob. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Now you've uh, you've been joining the conference so far. Oh yeah, it's been fabulous. Yeah. And you uh, not uh, technically presenting at the the main conference, but you you had quite a lot of work to do uh, doing a, a workshop on the day before the um, one of the prior workshops. Was it a full day? Four-day workshop? It was, yeah. 45 of us spending a day nerding out about uh, carbon accounting on both the uh, material and the operational side of emissions. So before we jump into that, just tell us a bit about um, your background, how you, how you got into carbon. Uh, yeah. So my background initially is as an owner-builder. I built a straw bale home for myself and my family back in starting in 2000. It took a while to build it. Uh, I moved from that into the building side of things, working with natural building materials around the Northeast. Um, as we were trying to improve our practices there, we were that's my sort of first foray into building science was through uh, improving the performance of our, um, especially our straw wall assemblies. Um, through that work, uh, I ended up uh, becoming BPI certified and getting into the building science side of existing buildings. And I got my CHPC back in 2012. Um, and then that just evolved and matured into more and more work on the sort of the design side of things and doing design consulting. And that led towards, I never lost my roots with working with bio-based natural materials. And so the combination of those um, really activated a strong interest around the carbon emissions of materials. And so that was the that was the trajectory. What's BPI? Oh, Building Performance Institute. So that was a certification I went through for um, building performance in the retrofit space. Nice. And of course, CPHP, most people will know as uh, Certified Passive House. Exactly. Um, and so you've been into sustainability for a while. Yeah. Do you know why? Yeah. Well, my early roots were in the realm of food justice. So when I was a, a younger kid, I was very active with um, like food, not bombs and some of the like local agricultural movement in Vermont and the sort of the food, uh, food economy in Vermont. And, um, and just was very deeply in tune with the impacts both on people and on planet from our food systems. I worked for an organic seed company for a long period of time, and I learned a whole lot around the ecological and social impacts of our food system. And so all of those same values just applied towards the building space once I built my own home and, and sort of came of age as a, as a tradesperson in that realm. Those values sort of stayed with me or kind of embedded in, and really embedded in why I chose to build with straw for my own home to begin with. I've got to get onto carbon, but before we do, uh, what's the climate in Vermont? Uh, 5A. Um, oh, what, sorry, is that, what does that mean? Oh, sorry, that's the agriculture. I mean, the actually agricultural climate. Um, it's really cold. So just you know, in in some we get down into the negative twenties Fahrenheit with some degree of regularity. Generally, have through where I live up in the mountains. Um, we guarantee about three and a half months of frost-free conditions. Summers kind of peak up in the like 80s and pretty high humidity. So, you know, if, uh, compared to Houston, I'd say they're probably pretty mild. Compared to the Northeast, we call them pretty hot, humid summers. And then the um, winters are long and cold. How does your how does your straw deal with the humidity? 
Uh, brilliantly. Um, the straw has uh, the very same um, chemical and physical characteristics as wood um, and decays and molds uh, within a very similar percentage of moisture content as wood does. So essentially, if you can keep wood dry in an assembly, you can keep straw dry in an assembly. Um, transitioning to carbon, mm-hmm. um, I'm assuming straw is a pretty good uh, product or material for uh, embodied carbon, but how did you get interested in in carbon, uh, both operational and embodied? Yeah, um, well, so my initial interest in working with straw was from a more of a, a generalized ecological sort of perspective, like we had a lot of waste straw in our region from the agricultural sector. It made sense to use that. Uh, I was really interested in avoiding the use of petrochemical foams. I was aware of the toxicity of that, both on the human level and the ecological level. So on a more of a qualitative basis, um, I knew there was some some relevance there. And it was the combination of um, some of the reporting that came out of the IPCC um, early in the um, in the early two th- uh, 2010s, um, combined with some really good advances of data around like the relative impacts of different materials yeah. that, you know, the, the IPCC warning signals gave the imperative to care. And then the other, uh, the databases was able to actually quantify that and give me something to really um, organize some strategy and awareness around. Yeah. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, BEAM. What is it and how did it come about? Yeah, so the BEAM is the Building Emissions Accounting of Materials. Building Emissions Accounting of Materials. Um, uh, it's released by an organization, Builders for Climate Action, that I work with. Uh, it was founded um, by Chris Magwood, um, who's a dear friend and longtime colleague. Um, he actually was the originator of the tool. Um, and he was um, try- starting to do embodied carbon calculations for the work that he did with a, a school that he used to operate um, with his partner, Jen Fagan, called uh, the Endeavor Center. So they developed a big spreadsheet of looking at the emissions profiles of all these different materials they were using. Um, and that became um, of such great interest to other people. They started to try to format that into a tool to use for others. I sort of got involved with him early on in that to um, sort of help develop that spreadsheet. And then um, it in, there was increasing demand and interest for folks, particularly in the residential space, working in small project teams, folks without really large fees, um, folks that whose needs weren't being met by the existing tools that are much more um, aligned towards larger projects and more like bespoke engineering um, processes um, to have a way of being able to look at this information quickly and inexpensively. Um, and so we sort of took the leap to uh, credit, you know, Chris and Jennifer taking the leap to start Builders for Climate Action and release beam as a formal spreadsheet tool so i've been involved kind of since the beginning then of just helping organize the 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 tool a bit and do a lot of the training and um and i've been doing a lot of analysis using the tool as well and talk working through workflow and um how to actually use the tool in a variety of different contexts and design or construction process what's the current market for people doing embodied carbon or life cycle analysis is there any requirement for people to do it or is it mostly just people who are passionate about it and, and want to learn and and know that for themselves yeah great question i mean we're definitely starting to see um in the code space more inclusions of embodied carbon um right now they're i think they're predominantly voluntary they're either through a stretch code or as a points option in meeting an energy code um there are some buy clean initiatives on the statewide level that are holding some uh, a little more regulatory imperative for procurement for public projects requiring embodied carbon 
analysis um, and reporting. So there's becoming more of a regulatory um, structure and imperative around it. Right now, it's largely for folks that are looking to um, take responsibility for the impacts of their work. Yeah. Yeah. The other issue that comes up uh, a lot with um, emerging carbon accounting is around consistency. Mm. And there's consistency of the data, where that's coming from, uh, but then also consistency around assumptions and, and how you account for for what sort of quantity and, and how, how, how's that going in the across the US on, on both fronts? Yeah, um, it is improving exponentially, I guess is the way I would describe it. And so <clears throat> it's becoming a lot more both transparency and uniformity around the data quality and the, the tool sets and the accounting methodologies. Um, and the communities that are working on this across the various uh, sort of data and tool spaces are very collaborative and open source and aware of the fact that the coordination um, and sort of the unification of those data sources and the analysis sort of boundaries and analysis structures needs to be um, well organized, um, easy for the market to like understand and enter into consistent and valid for regulatory structures to rely upon. Um, So I would say it's still early in that, all of this is still early policy that we're still, we're still kind of early in policy. We're early in the amount of data transparency we have from manufacturers, um, so on and so forth. But there is a whole lot that's happening to, um, improve that. There's, um, embodied carbon standards moving through ASHRAE, moving through, um, the ResNet program. Um, there's like increasing development of some of the areas like mechanical, electrical, and plumbing that have been, um, sort of absent from a lot of the analysis because of a lack of data, that's really starting to improve. And there's some more robust methodology coming out there too. So I'd say it's all moving very quickly and moving very intentionally around unified sort of comparable and transferable data and methodologies. Um, And which is really important because there's a broad diversity of markets from like building typologies going from small residential up to, you know, very large urban infrastructure, as well as, you know, um, from the consumer trying to understand like the value in a home they may want up to a regulator, a regulatory or policy um, personnel needing to establish some programming with something to point to of legitimacy. And so um, I think all of those stakeholders are both being engaged and being um, sort of held as the folks that are really working with the data and working with the tools are really trying to organize and coordinate and hold like a unified um, movement towards coordination and transparency. Yeah, it's good to hear some of that uh, consistency coming through. Um, I assume you rely on uh, EPDs a little bit for for data? Yeah, um, our tool is based off of EPDs because we're explicitly looking at material um, carbon emissions. And so... the other way to describe that boundary is we look at from like the raw material that's being harvested up to the factory gate, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so the data set we're using for that are EPDs, which is different than life cycle assessment, which yeah. is looking at the whole life cycle. And they use a different set of, of data inputs for that. Yeah. What's the next most important step? Ah, there's a few. Um, so... Uh, I'm working right now on a um, on research contract to, uh, as I was mentioning, the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing divisions, um, doing a lot of work to um, 
assess the data that's available and the methodologies that are available and bring that down to the residential sector. And so uh, that I'm very excited about because that's, you know, roughly 25% of the embodied emissions of a residence are um, in heating services. And so being able to capture that is very important. Um, I'm very excited around the work that um, Building Transparency and the, the Carbon Leadership Forum has been doing around, again, this convening and organizing the, the various actors and players in the space. Um, and again, in that beam represents the residential sector well, coordinating with them. That's a very exciting um, I'm a big champion and proponent of carbon storing building solutions as a, as a necessary strategy for us, not just reducing our emissions, but finding ways we can partner with agriculture and silviculture to store more carbon in the built environment. And the methodology and the data quality and just the conversation around how to think about that is evolving very quickly. That was a very big part of our training on Wednesday. It was a very rich and robust conversation of wood. How do we value the storage? Do we yeah. value the storage? The complexities of forest ecology. How does that translate into procurement and you know, structural solutions and finished solutions and insulation solutions? And what's the difference between short cycle and long cycle carbon? All those conversations are really, really important to have so that we can um, not just do less harm, but do more good with our material choices. Um, but there's a lot of complexity and there's a lot more questions to answer there. And so that's evolving very rapidly. And I, I'm especially excited about the, the movement in that that space yeah it's a it's a can of worms oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great to have tools that can help us navigate through that exactly um, exactly where where can people find more about beam buildersforclimateaction.org. Uh, you can hop on there and there's a link to download the tool. It is a free tool. Uh, we do ask for donations if folks find it of value. Um, also offering a series, uh, we do a, a, a training series for folks looking to get over the learning curve a little more quickly with using the tool. Um, the first in-person training starts at the very end of November, November 30th. So it's a great time to hop on, grab the tool, sign up for a training, and um, literally within the next project, start reducing the climate emissions of your next materials. Thank you, Jacob, for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. And thanks for all the work you're doing at Passive House Accelerator. I love the podcast. I love the work you're doing. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share this with you. <laughs>